Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, we've received lots of questions in the Facebook group about choosing a career or changing from one industry to another. Whether you should, how to do it, and when is the right time? So, we've gone to the market, we've found the experts, and we have a series of industry spotlights to help you make this game-changing decision. Who doesn't love a good bonus app? Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR professional. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here, and I work at Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. I've brought another couple of friends today. One day I'll run out of friends. I didn't know I had so many, but <laughs> I have brought another couple along and uh, they are Chris Cork and Maya Binney and they're actually my colleagues as well as friends. So we are deep diving into the industry that is mining and manufacturing and when I think of those things, I think of uh, from here on in known as Corky and Mays. and so welcome guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us guys. Pleasure. Now, Do you mind, albeit I've just uh, dobbed you in as far as where you work and I've perhaps raised the bar in regards to your expertise, do you mind each just giving us a short intro into who you are and and what your day job looks like? Absolutely. So, yes, as Emily mentioned, my name's Maya Binney. I work at Forsyth Recruitment as a recruitment manager and I work within our engineering supply chain and industrial sector. So I've been with Forsyth for 11 years now and always aligning to the manufacturing and blue collar sector. So together with my co-managers, we lead a team of about 20 recruitment professionals and we manage about 800 plus employees across New South Wales within those areas. Thanks, Mays. And uh, yeah, Chris Cork or Corky as I'd prefer. I've been around a little longer than Maya, which is obvious if you could see me in my hair. But uh, (laughs) I've been in the industry that is recruitment for about 20 years. I started as a trade industrial consultant and I've uh, in the last six or seven years, I've I've moved up, if you like, and and into a leadership role. And in fact, um, I'm one of the directors and owners of the business. Prior to, uh, and this is important context, I think, for this particular session, prior to um, my recruitment job, I was in fact a boilermaker. So I have sort of done what we might to some degree talk to today. I transitioned from a a trades role uh, into another sector. Became a bit of a, what do they call them, a pen pusher? A pen pusher, yeah. And I I still uh, receive that criticism from my former (laughs) tradies to this day. (laughs) It's great that you have that actual in-depth insight into what's involved. Can you just tell us, and I'm I'm keen for both of you to speak to this, mining and manufacturing is quite broad. I'm sure there's lots of kind of niche uh, areas you can get into in that space. To help us frame up the conversation today, how should we describe this industry across Australia? So mining and manufacturing, it's everywhere. If you think of your average day, it's made and sourced everywhere. So it's the things you wear, it's the food you eat, it's the materials that built your home, the power which turns the lights on, the transport you use. So it's literally everywhere. 
and that would go for mining as well with from a resource perspective. So manufacturing makes up about 100 billion and mining 90 billion um, in terms of contribution to the economy per year that is and and across manufacturing specifically so the food manufacturing industry and and many other man, manufacturing sectors they're a part of our top 6 fastest growing industries within Australia Look, COVID-19 has really made us rethink and look at the way we source and supply. And over the past 15 years, we've seen lots of examples of companies offshoring just for lower cost reasons. However, it's it's just really interesting times to watch these trends and it will continue to be over the coming years. So companies have learned to be more agile, to source, to supply differently and navigate the challenges throughout 2020. And they're just some of the trends we're starting to see. Such interesting context because I'm certainly not the guru. That's why I've brought you guys in. But I do hear enough and see enough through the news that manufacturing and mining in particular in Australia seem to be, I guess, hot topics. And when somebody is considering a career in this industry or either one of these industries uh, or maybe they're – and it might be that they're considering starting a career or it might even just be, do I want to stay in this career? Is this going to be sustainable for me for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 or more years, to actually have your finger on the pulse of the climate of the industry, uh, I think would be particularly important. Corky, would you have some commentary? I know you're a little bit of a, an economics hack, dare I say it. Would you have some commentary just to add to what Mays is describing for us? Uh, certainly, yes. And thank you for that reference to my hacking. <laughs> I do like the, the sort of I, I tend to follow the, the, the facts when it comes to um, exploring industry and therefore exploring careers. So I tend to start there. Uh, and from a mining perspective, I'll just pick on that space for a moment. It, it's the little industry that can. It's it's such a small, from a, a sort of per capita headcount perspective, yet large contributor to our economy. And I think to some degree, um, you know, Australians look back at, at, at mining as, as the sort of the beginning of this country. So I think there's a bit of a love affair with the mining industry to some degree. Um, so just a, a couple of quick stats. It, it employs about 250,000 workers which is about 2% of the Australian workforce, which is in fact smaller than the arts sector, interestingly. Wow. Actually, when you just said that, if you had asked me, if you had said, let's play a game, how many people do you think are employed by that industry? I would. I feel like I would have been saying in the millions and I don't know where that would have come from other than I feel like it's a lot because doesn't Australia do a lot of that? Every state just about has that industry. So I feel quite surprised. It is interesting because I think, Embo, what you're suggesting is that uh, it has such a high profile, yet such such a small headcount. And that's for many reasons. Uh, We are well endowed with resources here. We are very fortunate from from that perspective and and many different resources too. You know, the, the, the big ones that come to mind is iron ore and coal. They're the big export pieces. But we're, we're very good at removing it, so we've, we've become uh, very efficient, very effective in the removal of that product. It is, in fact, 8% of GDP, and it's more than half of our, of our exports. So when we link it back to economics, it is such a supercritical piece of our economy. It's really interesting, the economic climate and how that's in impacting mining in particular and then also then the political sense and and I think what we're seeing I'm just actually like am blown away at how I would have expected the employment to be a lot higher in mining like the uh, the volume of the labor market why is it that it gets such attention is it purely because of GDP and how much uh, this industry is generating in terms of our economic position or is it more about 
uh, climate change and some of those political factors that are influencing how we perceive mining as an industry? Sheila, I would suggest it's both. I think more traditionally it was the former. It was the impact. It was the fairy tale that, that, that was the the beginning of this country, the making of this country. I think more recently it has certainly uh, continued to be that, but it has also evolved into, as you've suggested, uh, more to do with politics, more to do with the social setting and more to do with, with where we're going, I guess, as not just a country but as a global economy. So I think it, it gets a bit of a, a bad rap, I would suggest, on that basis. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that it, it does what it's being asked to do. At present, it's being asked to um, to extract a particular type of resource for a particular type of outcome. Going forward, uh, as has been the case historically, that will inevitably shift. And as I touched on earlier, the endowments that we have and the variety of, of those minerals will support mining in this country for many, many years to come. Are you anticipating a drop or a decline in the volume of work available or are you, are you thinking that will rise? Like, What are you seeing trends-wise? So it, it is a marketplace that, that, that absolutely uh, shifts in correlation with economies. So if, if things are well, if, if commodity price is strong, the miners will extract as, as much of that product as they're able to. And, and the same goes in a, in a declining economy. So we would, I would suggest that presently we're, we're in the latter. We're experiencing a declining economy. And if, if you look back through COVID as a lens, if you like, at the beginning of COVID, mining was still performing very, very well. And, and I think it was number one when it, when it was um, considered in a recruitment context. It was putting on more people than other industry. If you look at it presently, it has come off. Other industries have taken up the slack, as you might expect, with the situation changing. And the situation has changed for mining. So as we know, mining is its the front end of industry. So you, you use those materials in a raw product context to produce something else. We've not been in a position globally or nationally, for that matter, to produce things. So therefore, the need uh, and the expectation of that product is reduced. And therefore, we're seeing uh, a reduction, uh, not necessarily a reduction in workforce, but a reduction in demand for that workforce to grow. Maze, how do you see those sorts of factors play out from a recruitment point of view? So I guess that's supply and demand. Is there a longer term ebb and flow to the manufacturing industry? Is it more short term, reactive, proactive? Yeah, so 2020 has absolutely been an interesting year for everyone, but particularly in manufacturing. So Early on, when we go back to March, things went absolutely crazy in the manufacturing sp space, particularly food and supply chain, when we we're seeing a lot of panic buying and different things happening. It did slow a little bit. Um, however, right now there are jobs. There are just so many jobs happening within the manufacturing space. Um, today on Seek, there's just under 10,000 advertised jobs across Australia. Wow. And yeah, so many going at the moment and many of them are for multiple. So there's probably tens of thousands of jobs actually going in the manufacturing space. And many of those are at an entry level or lower level area where someone can really look at a career within this sector. And, and there's really varying degrees of that. So the trends we're seeing at the moment, de definitely at the moment is growth, um, more opportunity. Longer term manufacturing is a really interesting space. We are seeing automation, we're seeing robotics, we're seeing AI, but where, where we're seeing that come in, we're also seeing job creation as well. And we believe that to happen in the future. So for there to be complete automation and for jobs to be totally removed, we don't foresee that anytime soon. You know, that that's huge investment for businesses. It's something that we'll probably see possibly very, very far in the future. But there's absolutely some fantastic careers um, that 
that are available within that manufacturing sector right now. So I'm loving this industry episode already because I feel like we're like busting all these myths because I was thinking mining, like that's a huge part of our Australian workforce. But then I was thinking manufacturing based on what you hear around automation. I was kind of expecting manufacturing to be one of those uh, industries that would be in decline. But what I'm hearing, it feels like the opposite. Would you say uh, that's right, Maisa? What What's What's your perspective on that? We are seeing there's a real need, like where where we see robotics go in, yes, it might replace some particular roles, but it could improve safety. It also adds positions to different level roles within the business. So there's a higher need for data analytics. There's a higher need for automation engineers. There's there's needs for other roles and, and that area is continuing to grow. So what we're seeing right now is there's lots of growth, lots of opportunity happening where people can enter a manufacturer, learn and develop and really start to pave their way within a particular company or this area to really develop and grow The piece around automation is an interesting one because Shell and I recently spoke with someone that you guys know very well and that's our colleague uh, Mitch McCormack about the tech space and we actually did this career bonus app where we deep dived into careers in technology and we were talking about automation. We've also uh, recorded already, albeit it won't be released until after this one, an episode on finance and accounting and all of a sudden found ourselves in the space of automation. And for both of those two industries, the talk was around, well, the computers are absolutely upping their game and, and robotics is a has a role to play. And so for people who want to build a career in tech or in finance and accounting, it becomes all about the communication and collaboration and those more human skills, those things that can't be done in a routine way. I could be about to absolutely sound like I don't know what I'm talking about here, but in my experience in both mining and manufacturing, where automation has come in, I've seen it from arm's reach actually rely on upskilling, but from a technology point of view. So you've just touched on this. So people in the past where they've maybe worked in production roles and they've been quite hands-on and it's been quite manual, the expectation is actually now that they learn how to use a piece of technology. And so that is different, I think, in this industry. And when we touch on what is automation causing as far as a need to upskill, I'm not necessarily seeing it go down the same path as accounting where it's a need to upskill in comms. I've actually seen it go down a path where it's a need to upskill in their ability to use a computer. And Maze, you just talked about uh, data analysis and, and other bits and bobs there. Can we just understand a little bit more about what you're seeing and whether or not it, what I've just said rings true? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think what we are seeing is that machines and humans working together is creating great efficiency and is working really well together. But you're absolutely right to when you do introduce robotics and machines and different pieces of advanced technology and equipment, we do need to see our operators and and workforce upskilling to be able to work with those pieces of technology to make it really successful within those workplaces. So we are seeing people become advanced machine operators, um, being able to program, being able to set up and and change products um, and also people programming so that they're able to, you know, support new products and new pieces of equipment or, or whatever it might be that that plant or factory will be making. And Corky, how do you see that outwork in mining? Are you seeing the same things in terms of needing to upskill in, in the tech space? Yes, certainly. So um, the, the, the futurists uh, in a workforce planning context would suggest that data and digital literacy is is key to the uh, future of mining. Mining is 
traditionally a conservative industry. Um, it's, it's a very simple industry too in so much as you, you, you dig and transport a product to an end user, but it's also an incredibly complex industry in doing all of that stuff. So the, the industry recognises that, uh, that, that they produce uh, as much or more data than any other industry. You consider the pieces of plant and people that are operating in these environments. So they become very cognisant of the opportunity that that represents for efficiency reasons, as, as well as many others. Mining is uh, or can be as compared to other industries one that is riskier too from a, a health and wellbeing perspective. So there's great opportunity, not just from a, um, I guess, a commercial perspective, but also from a, a people interface, people interaction perspective as well. Um, interestingly, in the mining context, which might, might shock some people, three in four uh, miners, and, and miners are people working in a coal mine setting, that might be the accountant, that might be the guy at the coal face and everyone in between, but three in four are qualified which I think some people might, might find that to be a statistic that, that doesn't fit with their understanding of mining. Uh, miners are often perceived to be the people at the coal face driving the trucks and, you know, literally digging the product. A lot of those people are, as I say, coal face workers. The miners, that's about 30% of the workforce. Another 30% is um, those with certificate three and higher qualifications. They're your trades that support the plant and equipment and the process. And then about 15% of professionals, and they're your engineers, accountants, and those sort of back-of-office people that, that keep the machine running. And on this piece around not only how to enter the industry but then grow a career, would each of you say for your respective areas of expertise that there are low barriers to entry? Is it quite easy to enter or is it more difficult? And, for example, something like a qualification or previous experience – is critical to breaking open that door and then building that career. Absolutely. And there's there's probably what I love about manufacturing is it's not unique totally to manufacturing, but it's one of those industries where there's so many jobs connected to one manufacturing facility. So within, if you pull apart a, a big manufacturer, there's finance professionals, there's creative and graphic designers, there's sales reps, market marketing experts, there's HR, there's research and development development and science subjects. Um, there's so many ways you can be a part of manufacturing within a business. Um, and, and also obviously the supply chain and, and manufacturing teams that support that as well. So to really enter the space, you absolutely can on a entry level factory or machine operating or packaging position. Um, you can also look to to study and get into a particular area of expertise if, if that is a particular topic you're really interested in and then join a manufacturer via that that channel as well. Um, it is great. We have a lot of people working for us at the moment who are currently studying uh, a topic at university which will connect them to manufacturing in the future and they're currently working while studying um, in the factory environments which will also really help them with career path and they could also once qualified end up with a job within that business. So um, there's multiple ways to get in and it really depends on that level and area of expertise you're looking to get into, but there's there's lots of options available. What would be an example just there, Maze, of, of who you've got working for you at the moment that is studying something at university, but at the same time working on the factory floor to get a feel for this world of manufacturing? Yeah, so out of our our employee profile, we have a number of people who are university students. So an example of um, a qualification that would be studied is, say, chemical engineering, and they're also working in a chemical plant, packing and filling and finishing and, and formulating, which is great for them because they're learning um, from the ground up how the plant runs. Um, it's supporting their 
learning and uni degree and hopefully once they're qualified, they may potentially be able to secure a role because they're already building a relationship with that future employee. So much of what we've been hearing on these industry episodes has been around how you connect your study and your degree qualification with work at that, say, entry level that then sets you up for that career progression. I'm curious, is it the same then in mining? Because there's obviously, as as Mays has mentioned, there's lots of entry-level jobs at the moment kind of available in the manufacturing space. Is it like that in mining with the, with the health and safety dynamics and the risk and, and trade qualifications that are involved? Can you get that foot in the door? Uh, yes, you can. But to the point you've just raised, there are there are barriers to entry and and they're there for very, very good reasons. They're in the interests of the industry and the the people joining that industry. And it's relative, of course, to what it is that you're performing within that environment. So, for example, at a professional level, there's great opportunity for professionals right now, particularly engineers. You touched on it earlier, Shell, around the, um, I guess, the the social relationship with mining over the past few years and notwithstanding a downturn that we, we came out of a few years ago as well, that inevitably had an impact on um, those people choosing to enter university courses. And, and we've had subsequently a significant shortage of mining engineers, um, mechanical, electrical engineers choosing to study those uh, vocations for those reasons. So if you had chosen to do that in, in the last couple of years, you, you have a goldmine of opportunity in front of you. There's approximately 200 people that are lost to the industry per annum with a professional qualification. And the uptake over the past few years has been about a quarter of that. So fantastic opportunity in the past few years and even now to um, engage at that professional end and, and to pursue a, a technical or, or a science-based career. Uh, but back to um, the fact that there are uh, a variety and, and, you know, there's an option for everyone, if you like, when it comes to joining the mining industry. From an entry-level perspective, um, at that lower semi-skilled end, operators, truck drivers, drillers, th- th- that's your most predominant resource within this industry. That makes up that 30% that I referred to earlier. So, um, you know, if, if that's your interest, th- there is good opportunity in that space. There are courses too, um, but not necessarily a requirement of, of gaining entry. So it's more about the supply demand in that being the case. And at the moment, the demand is not as strong as it has been in the past. That's It's great insight, Corky. In, in terms of like, what about grad programs? Uh, is that a, an avenue for someone who's at uni studying? Maybe they're doing engineering or, or one of those more professional pathways in. What, what does that look like? Absolutely. So the, 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 these, these organisations are some of the biggest and most sophisticated in our economy and, and, and the global economy for that matter. And they're absolutely, from a workforce planning perspective, very much on the front foot when it comes to to bringing the talent to produce the outcome that that organisation's looking for. So the big the big miners and even the smaller guys, to be fair, they are absolutely providing grad opportunity. They are absolutely competing with one another to find the talent. And as I said in the last few years, the competition was never fiercer. I've I couldn't believe what I was seeing when it, when it was, uh, you know, businesses literally fighting over resources that were coming out of university to join their business. Wow. I'm, again, I just feel like I'm surprised. I'm continually getting surprised by this conversation because I just, I didn't, and when you say the word goldmine, let's just go there for a second. Can I pause this? Because I was going to use this as a cliffhanger. I thought we'd go to a break and then we'll come back and talk money because this is an important topic when it comes to the mining industry. Uh, And it'd be interesting to compare and contrast with manufacturing. I'm also mindful uh, we've got the budget is a hot topic at the moment. And I know, as I said, 
economy hack Corky will definitely want to get in a word about that. <laughs> and I reckon we also find out what are the secrets to success as far as what the employer is looking for. Yeah, great. All right. So back after this. Money, property, careers, health, small business. We love learning how to do all of these well so we can live our best life. That's why we've made podcasts focus on a variety of topics. Check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, Gen Z Money, and You to Me, You to You, You to Us, which is just about sexual and reproductive health. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, welcome back. And let's hit it hard with the goldmine topic. Yes, the goldmine. This is what we really want to know. We've waited long enough. Uh, so where do we begin? I hear all sorts of things. I mean, people go and they end up with these amazing salaries that I hear all about from the mining industry. And then I think, why don't I quit my job and do fly in, fly out work in WA and earn a mozza? But is that all a bit of a fairy tale? Uh, it's not a fairy tale, no. The, the mining industry does reward its workforce uh, very handsomely. The, the median, are you ready? The median income for a miner and, and a miner, as we've defined, is anyone working in the industry, is 140k per annum. Nice. So wow. We could have had a little drum roll for that almost. <laughs> My apologies. I tried to build it up. Maybe you did. No, it's good. No, we, our, our producer here is like turning around, listening in. He's very curious in the background. He's off to look up a um, – well, he's either to look up seek or he's, he's off to he's look like, up a drum I, roll. How do I get into mining? Anyway, keep going, Corky. Tell us more. Yeah, so as I say, that's that's the median. As as way of comparing it again back to, to, to other industry, it's about – 60% better than the median general yeah, income right. for all other industries. So wow. it's, it, it's, it, it pays really well. It is a gold mine, uh, quite literally. But at the same time, um, I think it's worth recognising that it is, as we've discussed, uh, a risky industry. It is an industry that, that, that asks a lot of its workforce. Uh, more than 50% of the work performed in this industry is, is performed in regional and remote locations. So you're earning your money, but you're also paying for it in other ways, which I think is important to, to acknowledge from a, a social and, and sort of family perspective. Uh, but to, to give you a bit of a sense, you know, the, the top end, a mine manager, 400 probably in and around those numbers for, for, the, for the particularly large miners and, and, and even at the sort of entry level end, uh, for example, an operator that may not necessarily come in with skills, they might be what we call a clean skin, which is recruited from the world and, and, and chucked in a truck and, and, and taught on the job, 
they can make as a permanent worker, depending on roster, 130, 150 per annum. So it's a very well-paying industry. Is salary the main value proposition in mining? Like what's the engagement like if you're working in that industry? I certainly think it it is at the front end, I think. Uh, and, and again, it depends upon, you know, I keep saying this, but it calls upon many, many different people with, with many different experiences. So I would suggest that for an entry-level worker, for, for someone that's uh, maybe operating a truck or working in the offices with a, uh, a Cert 2 in business, I would think that the money certainly is uh, a very large motivational factor. Having said that, I think um, it is an industry that trains well. It trains better than most industries. It, it does to the best of its ability to look after its workforce and it does represent career progression too. So I, I think to begin with, certainly the money is is the draw, but I think people choose to stay for more reasons than just the money. Yeah, great. And Mays, let's flick to the dollars in manufacturing. How does How is it the same or how is it different uh, to what Corky's just described? Yeah, look, it is a bit different. It's it's not quite as high as mining, but um, there are some little gold mines in manufacturing. Um, so look, an entry level role or, or factory floor level role, um, they sort of sit anywhere from 40 to 60K. There's also shift loadings and overtime that come into that because there can be some big hours and, and some night shifts that, that are available there. So as you move up into more technical areas such as engineering or an area where you might not be in a leadership role, but you have some sort of degree or qualification to be able to perform that, we start to see salaries moving in more to that 70 to 80 um, K range. And then leadership, absolutely, we see a lot of six-figure salaries um, and and very high salaries for senior leadership. So operation management roles and and above, they can be anywhere from 200 to 400,000 in in some of these global businesses as well. So um, we do see some big salaries, um, but probably the entry-level area, that's where we do see it it differ from mining. But again, like um, Corky said, the hours, the shifts, um, that there are some variances that that we do see. And I imagine that the risk, and it's perhaps a generalisation, but the risk associated with manufacturing is more often lower than the risk associated with mining, particularly in those entry-level roles where there's the greatest discrepancy around salary. So we've got to look at this whole picture, not just, again, probably depends on an individual's goals, but not just the money when we do a compare and contrast. That's right. And and yeah, risk is a piece of that. Safety is definitely grown greatly across both mining and manufacturing over the last several years and um, and beyond. But um, we do see that the risk of shifts, the risk of particularly mining, you're away from your family a lot. Um, you you could be away from for a month at a time and there's there's a cost that, that comes with that. So we do see most people in manufacturing, they are normally local to, to wherever they would live and where their family's based. So we do see different risks and trade-offs as a part of working within that sector. It's great to hear there's lots of, there's money obviously in the industry, there's lots of opportunities. What are both of your uh, kind of pieces of advice for any of our listeners today who want to progress in the industry. They want to um, move up that, say, that career ladder or as we like to term it, jungle gym from one of our previous episodes. What do you say to those people listening? How can they progress? If you were just newly joining the manufacturing sector and you decide this is an industry you love and you'd like to progress within, I think it's really important to talk to people about the fact that you want to progress within that business. We have a lot of people who join manufacturing and they might just be doing it for a short period of time just to earn some money and have income while while 
working on another goal. However, if you love this industry and and it's where you want to grow and develop and build a career, talk to your leader, talk to your manager and, and really start to understand what opportunities could be available for you. It might mean you go down the path of study, you could start an apprenticeship, um, there, there may be other channels that you go down, but it's really important to understand where you want to get to and, and just start to build an, a plan on how to get there. Do you see in your experience, Maze, because manufacturing is so broad and you've really set the scene nicely for us, do you see once people's careers start to progress that they can actually go from one discipline or one part of the business to another and there is opportunity for that uh, cross movement rather than just a vertical? Yes. And I I think it depends on the business that you're within. So company size is a big thing as to how much opportunity is presenting. But many of these manufacturers do have quite a broad um, workforce and areas that you can move in. So we have seen people start off in the factory, move into some leadership positions, gain a qualification and move into planning or automation engineering or, or senior leadership. So we've got many wonderful examples of that happening. And yeah, it absolutely does happen across the, the sector. Again, mining is a, a fairly traditional and conservative industry. It tends to follow a, a less jungle gym and more linear path when it comes to career progression. That has been the case for a long, long time. I think that that will continue to be the case, particularly because um, of sort of regulatory statutory responsibilities of the, of the mining operators. They need to have the right people with the right qualifications doing the right things to satisfy those needs. Having said that, mining, again, traditionally look uh, most seriously and almost exclusively for a long, long time at, at the, the hard skills, the technical skills. It, um, in, I guess, realising that it is missing opportunity in, in, in being so focused and also recognising the interests of, of uh, the next generation of workforce it is still looking for that and will always for the reasons I've just now discussed, but it is also just as importantly looking for the soft skills. And we've seen that over the past few years, um, the importance of, of growing leaders, of growing the next generation of, of, of leaders, of judgment, decision-making, active listening, creativity, collaboration, all of those things that we often reconcile with, I guess, the services sector and, and, the, and the people-based industry are skills that are becoming more and more important to the mining industry. Corky, you worked, uh, as you touched on at the beginning, in a trade. So did your apprenticeship, you'll stop me if I start to get your career story wrong, and worked in particular for a manufacturing business that's supplied to the mining industry. So you do have a really nice perspective. Now, uh, as we've discussed, working in recruitment, how did you make the transition from being a tradie to being a recruiter and the answer can't simply be oh I fell into recruitment I know that's all of our <laughs> you took my I, response I sorry. know I know every single recruiter you ever ask uh if you're listening and you want to go out and test that theory I promise it will work 100% of the time they will say I fell into recruitment uh, but perhaps you can put a bit more flesh on those bones for us in regards to how you made the transition yep certainly and look I didn't simply fall in it was much better planned than that um albeit the way it occurred was Probably not how I anticipated. But, yeah, so I did my trade as a boilermaker with a, a, a METS brand. METS is um, the acronym for Mining Equipment Technology Services. So that's the supply chain to the, the mining industry and the manufacturing capability that supports mining. Mining would not be what it is without the manufacturing industry, it's, it's fair to suggest. Um, so we, we manufactured a, a variety of, of products for uh, the underground industry, underground coal industry most specifically, and I did that for, of course, four years. I completed my apprenticeship, became a tradesperson and was 
well before I started my apprenticeship, um, not necessarily looking for that as, as, as my career. I happened to fall into that probably more so than my recruitment career, to be honest. Um, and I then started um, – this won't come as a shock. I, I, I started attending school of an evening. I went through TAFE. I wasn't very strong with computers. They weren't necessarily important when I was at school but I recognise they were now and would be going forward. So I went and completed an IT course to begin with. I then backed that up with a, uh, a business management course. And the, the, the third, which was as I was, I guess, beginning to absolutely reconcile where I wanted to go, was a HR course, all through TAFE, um, all Cert 4. And in doing that, I prepared myself for what I thought would be the long-term career that I was looking for. I wanted to work around people. So this is where I fall into recruitment in some ways. My, my colleague went for an interview with a, a recruiter. He decided it wasn't for him but felt it was for me, so he referred me during that interview. I went and attended interview and I was fortunate in getting that job. And as I said earlier, I've been in this industry now 20 years. Half your luck. Thanks. <laughs> oh, it's just such a good example of so many things, of this proactivity and career self-reliance that we harp on about of – having career changes and perhaps at times having moments where I'm sure there was an element of fear or an element of uncertainty around do I, don't I, just a raft of different things and also career progression from that mining and manufacturing space and how you can actually move from a trade or you can move from what I will very lazily term blue collar to white collar. And I also love in there, Corky, that you were really aware of what was happening externally. Like as you mentioned, you saw in yourself a gap in that IT space. So overnight you go and study. And I wonder how many of us actually taking those opportunities to have a look around externally and think, where are my own gaps? What am I seeing externally in the industry that I'm working in and just in the workforce? And then how do I fill those gaps by studying, by upskilling, by getting some diverse experience? I want to hit you with something that I know you're very interested in in that external space, what are the factors that are influencing uh, mining and, 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 and manufacturing may uh, speak into this externally right now, what's happening in the climate uh, that's going to influence jobs? Yes, yeah, certainly. So um, the obvious first one I'll go to is COVID, uh, inevitably. Uh, it has you know, been a wrecking ball to, to global economies and certainly ours. Um, I'll touch on the manufacturing space just a moment. Manufacturing was a powerhouse for, for this country during the 80s and, and, and well before then. Um, it, it's not the powerhouse it was. It's still a very, very important sector. I think it's about 7% of our workforce, uh, a reasonable proportion of GDP, but nothing as compared to what it was. Um, COVID comes along, COVID uh, demonstrates the risks that, that that situation has created, the erosion of our manufacturing capability. For example, things as simple as medical supplies. Most of that product um, is, of course, sourced overseas and we couldn't get it here in a timely fashion to meet the needs of, of those who are unwell. So I think we were um, very quickly brought to the realisation that we needed to have a look at that and uh, government and industry responded very, very well. So fast forward to today, for example, tonight we anticipate uh, the PM and the Treasurer will make many announcements, some of which has already been prefaced, and some of that is around manufacturing, some of that is around mining and providing investment to those sectors. Um, so, look, the so sovereign risk, I think, is absolutely a factor, the inability to get things here when we need them in a timely fashion, Geopolitics is another factor that I think is, is weighing heavily on decision makers in this country and the need for us to be more self-reliant in, 
in, in many different areas. Look, I, it, I think we as a society, we, we just want to make things here again. I think there's a real push socially for that to occur. No, I'd agree with everything you've said, Corky. Um, we have seen a lot of manufacturers in particular really pivot through COVID. They become more agile. They've really looked at their supply chains and just really looking to sort of put some safety measures in place to best manage our, our local manufacturing and, and across the nation and, and to support that into the future. So echo everything you've said. One of the questions we love to ask, and you know, maybe we should start to come up with our own myths and then put them to you good experts to bust them, but we prefer you to bring along your own. It's this idea that there's a myth or there's a misconception or perhaps there's many of an industry. Would you each share, I guess, your top mis- misconception and then bust that for us and our listeners? Yeah, so this one caused me to, to think a little bit as I was thinking on misconceptions. I think there's many. You've touched on a few today, Shell. The, the, the social uh, opinion of mining, um, I'm not suggesting it's a misconception, but I, I think it's a more nuanced discussion than is necessarily being had. I, I come up with, the, I believe there's a misconception that mining is a sunset industry and I don't um, myself personally believe that to be the case. And there's there's a number of reasons for that, May. You touched on it right at the beginning of today's session. We, 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 we mine this stuff to make stuff that we want or need, and that will not discontinue. Um, we will continue to mine minerals and, and, and material from the earth to build things that we need. It will just change. Uh, that Those things that we want might be different. For example, energy and the way we produce energy might not be the way we've produced it traditionally and we produce it now. Uh, however, we will still want minerals. So uh, just, I guess, as an example, lithium is a really important resource for the production of batteries and the batteries that we will need if we move, for example, in an energy context towards solar. Australia is well endowed with lithium and we mine lithium from this country presently. Cobalt is another really, really important resource with electric vehicles, wind turbines, for example. So back to that energy generation piece. And we have, uh, again, very good quantities of cobalt in this country. Rare earths, they're becoming a, a more topical material. We need those to build all sorts of things. We have lots of it here. The list goes on and on. Uranium, for example, if we want to get a little bit controversial, we have the, the number one position from a resource perspective on uranium. Uh, and, and as we've touched on earlier, gold. Um, we, we have lots and lots of gold. And gold's used for more than just rings and, and, and trinkets. Electronics. Um, without gold, we, we, we can't continue to build the technology and electronics that we use. So I would suggest that it's in many ways a sunrise industry. Um, I, I don't believe it at all to be sunset and I would suggest in more than one context, it's sunrise, it's changing. The roles at the sort of entry and, and lower end of the industry, they are at risk of automation. They are at risk of, of, of not necessarily uh, being removed but being reduced. But they will be replaced, at least on a net basis, with, with, with higher end, with, um, if you like, smart roles, with engineering roles. That's the anticipation. That's the future of mining. So I think it's certainly a sunrise industry for those people that want to get into that type of opportunity. That is such great perspective. Loving the myths that we're busting. Maze, what do you think? Yeah, look, from a misconception perspective, I probably something where I get a real bee in my bonnet at the moment is, is around awareness of, of the industry. Um, particularly people coming out of school, they they 
often are pointed in directions to particular career paths and manufacturing is not often one that is really looked at or, or, or taught as an area that can really be learned. And there are some great um, opportunities. It's, it's an area that from an understanding perspective, there, there can be some perceptions that it's very old fashioned or dirty and hot and all these things. And it, it can be all those things, but they're also a very automated prestige facilities that have um, technology and different career opportunities available within them. So probably a misconception I mostly see is just around awareness and, and real understanding of manufacturing and what can be presented from a career perspective. And if we just take your moment on the mic there, Maze, what would be your, your advice to people coming out of school or considering this industry for the first time? They haven't had their eyes open to it before. You've got your recruiter hat on. They walk in the door to sit with you for an interview. What are you looking for in that person? Yeah, absolutely. So this happens all the time. We meet lots of people every week and a lot of the people we meet are, are fresh out of school or uni and are looking for their first job. So um, something we often look for are transferable skills. So fortunately with manufacturing, there's lots of opportunities where if you've worked in hospitality or retail or some sort of fast-paced sector, you can really transition very well into manufacturing. So if if you were looking um, for a career in this and, and you have some sort of fast pace or, or some experience within those sectors, it can transition so well. And just some advice around that, um, I find that just have your resume up to date, display everything, no matter how big or little it is. Um, when you're coming out of school, you are a bit limited in terms of what you can sell to that employer. So just really list everything. Um, you know, we people who have worked at McDonald's or fast food or different outlets, they're, they're great bits of work history that you can take with you to start your career in this area. And it's very transferable um, into the manufacturing sector. Love that. So good. What about you, Corky? What are you thinking about that, that bit of advice for someone wanting to pursue their career in this space? Yeah. So um, I think of it, uh, are you looking for a sprint or a marathon? Um, if you're looking for a sprint, and, and, and many people have used the mining industry to perform a sprint to make good money over a short period and, and, and create opportunity in their life. If you're looking at it from that perspective, um, I'd certainly not discourage taking the, if you like, the, the path of least resistance and pursuing the volume end of, of that industry. So coming in with not necessarily a qualification or limited qualifications, pursuing it in an operational context, so, so being literally at the coal face, um, digging the coal, uh, supporting those people digging the coal in a trades role, for example. Trades roles will, I think, continue to be around for, forever. I think if if sprint is your game, you therefore need to be mindful that there will be some erosion of, of some of those roles, um, those that can be automated, and you therefore should have an exit plan. So be prepared to sprint and then leave and, and do something else. If, however, you're looking to, to perform the marathon, I'd encourage your consideration to the long game, and that long game will be one that relies more heavily upon STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. I'd encourage you to pursue... Uh, potentially study in that space and then apply yourself, um, as I say, in a long game context using those skills. Interestingly, I was reading that STEM, which is a, a very well-known acronym um, in, in this world, in manufacturing for that matter, it's it's being lengthened or elongated. It's, it's now steamed. So there's a, a couple of extra letters. I think if I can do it right, it's an A and E and a D. So the A is art. So we're talking to this creative piece again. The E is entrepreneurialism 
and the D is design. So it, we, we've gone from that hard-coded, um, you know, A plus B equals C to something a little um, less literal than that and, and that is something that the mining industry is looking for. That's good to know because I am none of those things that are in STEM <laughs> and I was just thinking, how can I get into that industry? Oh, okay, cool. Arts, that's that's a bit more, you know, whimsical. A bit more design. <laughs> so this is great. And it's great to see that expanding and seeing what both of you recommend as recruiters in this space and also for any of our listeners, keep your resume up to date, look for a sprint or a marathon and I love everyone, where, wherever you are, whatever role you're thinking of, have an exit strategy. Definitely. I just want to like kind of stand up and clap to that because. Oh, you can in a moment. I I'd can. like to see that. <laughs> uh, look, Corky, Mays, or for the sake of formalities, Chris Cork, Mayor Binney, thank you guys so much for coming on, sharing your time, your wisdom and expertise. I always get a little bit nervous. I may have said this before when I bring friends along and I vouch for them and then I think you guys better do a good job and my brain feels bigger so thank you so much for um I've learned a lot for sharing everything that you have thanks guys it's been good fun thanks for having us thanks so much and if you're listening on apple we would just love if you can subscribe and give us a five-star rating and review love getting your feedback thanks for hanging out Thanks, guys. And I should add, you're on LinkedIn. You're all over it. So uh, not only a connection request, but also keeping an eye on what these guys post and you will continue to learn. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.